Hello and welcome to How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, the podcast that celebrates the things that haven't gone right. This is a podcast about learning from our mistakes and understanding that why we fail ultimately makes us stronger. Because learning how to fail in life actually means learning how to succeed better. I'm your host, author and journalist Elizabeth Day, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what they've learned from failure. This very special live episode of How to Fail is sponsored by Stripe and Stare, the most comfortable, sustainable knickers in the world. (laughs) I can talk to this personally as they are my favourite knickers, because they genuinely are. The only reason I'm not wearing them tonight is the dress, because they don't ride up and they're so comfortable you forget you're wearing them. That leaves you to worry about more important things throughout the day, because, as we all know, nothing great was ever achieved in uncomfortable underwear. Even better, Stripe and Stair knickers are sustainably sourced from beechwood trees, which are softer than cotton, use 95% less water in their production, and give no VPL as they lie perfectly flat against the skin. Yes, whoop away! (laughs) Whoop away for Stripe and Stair, because only 3% of the underwear market is sustainably sourced, which is pretty terrible for a product that hopefully most of us wear every day. Stripe and Stare is also B Corp accredited. They've been described as the most comfortable knickers around by magazines such as Forbes and Harper's Bazaar and by 98% of the women who wear them. And I know there are some men in the audience, and if you want to wear them too, no judgment. Shop online at stripeandstare.com and with a 20% discount for the next month using the code F20. That's F20. Also available at Selfridges, Shopbop, and Revolve. Thank you very much to Stripe and Stare. Thank you. Shoreditch Town Hall, it is so lovely to be in your company. Hello, and welcome to the last night of our How to Fail live recordings. It might be the last, but it's by no means the least, because I am so excited by my guest this evening, I'm barely holding it together. My first year at university will forever be soundtracked to his monster hit, Seven Days, which he wrote when he was just 16, living in a Southampton council flat with his mum. His first album, Born to Do It, was the fastest-selling debut ever by a British male solo artist. Since then, Craig David has gone on to have 20 UK Top 40 singles, 14 Brit Award nominations, one Grammy Award, and over 15 million record sales worldwide. Last month, he dropped his eighth studio album, 22, a celebration of the 22 years it's been since Born to Do It changed his and our lives forever. This week, he also published his first book, What's Your Vibe?, which details the challenges of fame and his journey through depression to learn to trust his intuition. It's been quite the career for the 41-year-old David, and almost uniquely for someone with his level of celebrity, he has an untarnished reputation as a genuinely nice man, which I can now personally attest to. I used to think recognition came from winning awards, David says, but now I realize the actual winning part is all smoke and mirrors. I feel like I'm winning every day when someone comments and says, this song changed my life. There is no award that's ever going to give you that feeling. Shoreditch Town Hall, please give it up for the incredible talent, the lovely man, the iconic recording artist that is Craig David. Thank you. Take a seat. 
How are you? Oh, Craig, I'm so good. I'm much better now that I'm in your presence. Ah, we were saying like off the mic just how amazing you are. Stop. No, in general, let's let let it be known right off the bat. You're you're holding space for people to come in and speak their truth and and to talk not only just about their books, like or but talk about their life. And I think that because of people really believing what you you say and the way in which you you hold that space, people are like, okay, I'll lean into that other person you've you've done. So kudos to you. Can you give a round of applause to Elizabeth? Thank you. You see, he genuinely is the nicest man. You're so lovely, and I really appreciate that coming from you. And I deliberately chose that quote to end on because it's so much of what I believe about what true success actually is, which isn't about the awards. It's not about the private jets, although I'm sure they're nice, wouldn't they? It's actually about... Trust me, I'm going on just a nice little British Airways or easy okay. if we need to get to it. It's not as hyper as you think. <laughs> Smoking mirrors again, see? But what does success mean to you now, Craig David, in your 40s, just published your first book? What does success mean? Yeah, it definitely has changed. I mean, now it would be able to sit here with you today and for me to be in front of an audience and to not be performing a song, but yet being able to talk about being an author and having a, a book out there, but also to actually be able to take some of those life experiences and hopefully help people. I think that's real success is when you, you get the memo, you're like, okay, I was the, the role was the musician mm. to get me to this place, but then the real work starts yeah. now. And I think that's real success when you recognize that and you're like, okay, I can still do the music and I can speak my truth, but if I can help people, then we've really come a long way, so... And do you think that's about authenticity as well, that it takes a while to get the courage to be yourself in public? Yeah, I feel like it's... Initially, when I first started off, it was very much like you want to achieve these goals. You know, you're watching on TV, you're like, I'd love to know what it'd be like to be on the other side of the TV set on top of the pops. And you're like, wow. like, Or to travel to a different country. But then over the years, I've realised that actually there was a lot of unpacking and unraveling of stuff that once I got to this point, you get a real authentic version of me, which is still, I'm a journeyman, I'm still in the mix. In 10 years' time, I'll look back and say, wow, there was a few things that you missed on some blind spots. But I feel like that's the most important. If I can do that, it just sort of demystifies the kind of this, everything's great if you're a musician or everything's great if you're an entertainer or everything's great just in life. I think like... We're all going through our own things, right? Yeah. I want to take you back to writing Seven Days when you were 16 years old in your council flat in Southampton in your tiny room, which was stacked floor to ceiling with 12-inch vinyls. No, you know. <laughs> because what I love about that is that I understand because you were living with your mum, you made the lyrics tamer than they might have been. Yes, yes. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, so I was in like a two-bedroom flat on the Holyrood Estate, in the block called Queen's House. And to have been in my bedroom starting the early lyrics to Seven Days, by the time I'd hit Wednesday, (laughs) and I was thinking about what could we be saying here, I was thinking, you know what? I think making love would be a better way for this to land because my mum was actually the one I played all the the music to. And and my grandma also pretty much raised me with my (laughs) mum. So early doors, I was already around a lot of feminine energy, a lot of respect, a lot of like, okay, so I can play this. 
But the great thing with seven days is I kind of feel it's so much cooler that it was saying making love than any vulgar term that I could have used as a 16-year-old kid. And also, it just wouldn't have flown. Like, say that to my grandma and you'll say that to my mum. She'll be like, really? Mm. Do you really? And then let me play that to your dad, see how he feels about that. You know, <laughs> Let's not play it to dad just yet. Let's play that one. <laughs> Because you were a pretty fast mover in the song. You took her for a drink on Tuesday and you were making love by Wednesday. Was, I mean, how did your mum feel about that? I mean, well, listen, you've got to remember. Let's, let's reverse back. We're back okay. in the council flat with my mum. Mm-hmm. My mum's like, sort of bedroom is like, like a stone's throw away over the corridor where I am. She knows there's no Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday... Friday, Saturday. She knows there's some chilling business going on, but yeah. she knows that the rest of the week, I don't know where you're thinking you're doing all this. Yeah. <laughs> so it was definitely a young kid who was looking out of his bedroom window, being very aspirational, like, you know, 16, 17 yeah. at the time. So I guess there's a lot of testosterone kind of like flowing through me. And I was thinking, wow, how amazing would this week be? But <laughs> That is so sweet. Let's keep it real. Like I'm, I was with Chris Martin not recently, and he gave like a version that he did uh, at Wembley Stadium and it was much more to the point I mean it's yeah. like he was watching Netflix on a Sunday and, and his date had gone wrong and, he couldn't, and she never called him back that's more like she ghosted it. him you know. <laughs> because fame came to you after that quite suddenly didn't it o- more or less overnight when you were 19 and I wonder what that is like one minute you are in your Southampton bedroom and the next minute you are recognised when you walk down the street yeah it was I think that was the kind of the one point at which I kind of recognised something had changed when I was going from walking down Southampton High Street, which was home to me. I'd been working at McDonald's not that long before, making a little money, and and we'd always kind of meet up around. There was always like a... McDonald's was the hot spot to meet up mm. back as a teenager because yeah. that's all you could afford to get is a little food. And if you took yeah. someone out for a, for, a, for a little meal, it's like, do you want a Happy Meal or do you want the... <laughs> um, so it was just walking up the high street and then realising I couldn't walk up the high street again because what was happening, it was, I don't know if you say pandemonium, but it was, it was more people than I could imagine that were, were coming up to show love, really. And, but even weirdly enough, friends, people I'd gone to school with who were seeing me very differently, they were sort of, I've seen you on TV now, I've seen you on, on, on Top of the Pops. And it was almost like the conversation wasn't like as if we were here grounded in this moment. It was like, I see you as the guy on the TV now. Mm. And I, so I couldn't go out, and I found like I was sort of starting to go back into my own little world. And it was kind of a shame on one hand because Slampton was like, I wanted to walk that high street. I did it one time. I went back like a year, a couple of years back after it all gone off with Rewind to fill me in. And I thought, I'm going to go to the HMV. I'm just going to walk into the top man and see what goes on. I learned very quickly about walking into the top man and HMV of how that didn't last for that long. Too much love. And I see it as love, not something to look at and say, oh, that was a, it was just like, everyone wanted to show love. And I was like, I haven't got enough to give back. Um, and also, I want to like that jacket they had in Top Man, and I can't yeah. get that one. You know, like, so, because of the suddenness of that fame, did you feel like an imposter in it sometimes? I think the zero to 100 thing that happened so quickly was quite difficult to process at the time because it had gone from working at McDonald's, which, by the way, was, it had its, its perks in McDonald's. You know when they had those little tokens where you'd go in and get like a free Big Mac or a milk? Yes. So... They never gave me, like, a, a badge with any stars. They were like, you're not going to be on the front, you're going to be in the back, like, cleaning out the mustard and the tomato sauce and stuff. But I could see a huge mountain of those little tokens. Oh, Robin Hood and me is the one. 
redistributing them back out into, <laughs> oh, I was the guy back in the day. So it was a great time at McDonald's. <laughs> but I would say that going so fast from that to being in the clubs DJing to the next thing being on a show like Top of the Pops, the next thing performing at three nights at Wembley Arena, and I'm standing on stage with my band and I'm seeing people going crazy. And I'm just thinking, this must be for someone else. Mm. So at early doors, we're starting to take on this imposter syndrome of thinking that, I don't know, is the, is the bubble going to burst at some point? Is someone going to be like, yeah, there we, we, we found out. You're not really, this, all this success is just not really the thing. And it took a long time for that. I'm talking years for me to process that and start to realise that actually that wasn't the case. But yeah, early doors, it was definitely imposter syndrome. So we're going to talk a bit more about that because your failures are so profound and I'm so grateful at the time you clearly took to go there I mean these are not humble bragging failures they are genuine things that you have grappled with but I would love to ask you what the first thing you bought was when you made a load of money see when I say it and I really want to say this just like because it's I mean it's with heart and it's I don't want it to sort of sound like oh he's he's doing the he got the mum the thing but the first thing on my agenda was, if I make any money, was to, to get my mum a home that, was, that she could call home, that she could have a garden, um, like my grandma who had a garden. And we didn't have that in our, in our little flat. We just had like a little balcony. And I wanted her to be able to have her own kitchen, a little bit of space. And, and I think that moment of actually picking up my mum and like taking her over to this house that she didn't know what she was going to go to this house for, and saying, what do you think of it? She goes, great, but what, why are we here? And I said, mum, this is, this is your home. And she was, and the tears start flooding down, the tears flooding from me, and I'm just like, that for me was the, the biggest thing that I could possibly have done at that time, because I didn't realise the sacrifices that my mum was making for me growing up. Always having an extra 20 pounds to go and buy a, a record that I wanted, or picking me up from the record store, sorry, picking me up from a club, sorry, at two o'clock in the morning, and she had to go to work at six. You only sort of realise those sort of things later on, like, wow, you had that little sleep, but yet you still would do that for your son. And I thought, wow, if I could just make you feel happy and feel like this is just a little something for all the things you've sacrificed for me, then I'm, I'm happy. So that was the first big thing. She raised an amazing man. I appreciate you. Tell me about the title of your album, 22, and why that number. I mean, we've talked about it being 22 years since Born to Do It, but it's got another meaning, hasn't it? Yeah, it has like a... If you're into numerology or angel numbers, the, the symbolism of 22 is a master builder number and it's very much about foundation and being of service. And for me, very much, like as I was saying before, recognising that, yes, you may, be, may be portrayed as being a musician, but actually that was just a platform to get you to where you really start to do the work and mm-hmm. to be of service. And that doesn't change anything, it just is realising that actually there's a lot more that I can do with this voice that I have, as opposed to just making music that heals, and I feel it is very much about healing people. But being here today, I mean, this is a weird juxtaposition for me to like, to not be going into a melody right now. But Although like, feel free. I, feel, I knew you'd be like, <laughs> don't worry, there's a little sunk in there, just I feel yeah. like my have to come. But it's really different, and I, th- yeah. I think that's really important now, to... And I use the expression of a, or example of a lotus petal, and it's got it's multifaceted. There's lots of different petals, mm-hmm. and if you could express those, you're all the, still the same flower. And I think that's kind of where I'm at now. Let's express a bit more. And with what's your vibe, your book? You open it asking the reader how they're feeling. Yeah. Do you think it's more important to pay attention to our feelings than our thoughts? 
100%. Because it's the subtle, small things that you get in when you say, I've got a gut feeling. You feel it, right? It's like it's here. Or you walk into a room and you're like, something's off here and I don't know why I'm getting that kind of feeling. And you can then, the mind kicks in of, no, but the pie's great. Stick around, man. You just come through the door. But something in here is saying you know. And then you've got to make a choice because the, the mind will try and not really trip you up, but it doesn't, it doesn't have the intelligence of what your gut, or, or more importantly, that your heart has. Your heart is an intelligent life form in and of itself. We think it's the brain that's in control, but it's actually more the heart. So you then leave and find out like five minutes later, the hugest fight kicks off and you were like, whoa, you would have been broad in the mix of it. You had a feeling. So I always want to always revert back to how do you feel, not how do you think, and, and what's your vibe? was about what's the vibe, what's the vibration you're feeling here? Because I think if we can tap into that a bit more, it actually is a lot more intelligent, like I said, than the thoughts we have. Because this would be like, it leaves you in limbo land. This is like, if you can honour this, you make a move or you stay, you know? Final question before we get on to your failures. Does vulnerability come easily to you? Because I believe that it's the source of all great human connection. And it's actually a very courageous act, particularly if you are a man in today's society. And I know you said earlier you were raised by women. So has vulnerability always come naturally or is it something that you think you've stepped more into the older you've got? I've got to say that my, I'm so grateful that I grew up around my, my mum and my grandma predominantly. My dad was always around and he, my mum and dad split up when I was around eight, but he, he definitely let me know I had a father there. He picked me up on a Sunday, took me to Poulton's Park. If anyone has been to Portland's Park, it's fun. They've got go-karts. Maybe nothing to anyone who's here, but it was, a, it was a fun, like a Chesington World of Adventures sort of vibe, but a little Keep bit telling yourself that, Greg. No one's heard of it. No. <laughs> Let's leave the Portland's Park, and we'll park that one for a moment. But, um, to have been around my mum and grandma, like I said, it definitely in early doors instilled that. Mm. Conversations were a lot more easier. They were empathic. They were able to see how I was feeling again, like... Grandma would know if I was down, and, and that love and sprinkle she'd put into the food would just instantly make you feel better. Mum would be able to read me and be able to, like, okay, he needs a hug here. And so that love, it, and that's a very feminine energy in, in being intuitive and being empathic. But to be vulnerable was something only years down the line I kind of recognised was really real power. And Brene Brown talks so beautifully about that in The Power of Vulnerability. Because your society, as far as I could see, had told me that, no, no, we're not vulnerable here. And especially for men, as you said, it's like man up and come on, just, just dig deep and just get through it. It's all very alpha, very kind of like physical, whereas the energy I was getting from my mum and my grandma was very much, let's go inside. Mm. Let's actually, let's talk about this. You need a hug, you need some good food, you need a smile. Um, and now I've been able to embrace the energies and understand them that now I'm able to actually speak quite honestly and openly about things because I know that by me being vulnerable, we have these kind of conversations, yes. which is beautiful. Oh, I love anyone who quotes Brene Brown. Thank you for that. Yeah, pleasure. Your first failure is your failure to speak up, but now being <coughs> able to. So take us on that journey. Where did that failure to speak up start? Okay, so my first experience of that would have been school is a, is a funny time I think for most kids growing up I mean middle school was I've got amazing stories from middle school and that was a great time but 
secondary school. I was like an all-boys school. And I had a lot of wonderful years there. But there was definitely times where I was like, there was moments of bullying that I saw that other people were experiencing. And then moments which I experienced, which would be the getting roughed up in the, in the corridor and give me some money and you're just like from an older from a boy in the, in, the, in the school and you're just like, what do I do here? One, I didn't speak up for myself, but also when I saw other people being bullied, that I didn't speak up for them either. And it was one of those things that really pained me at that period of time because I didn't really know what to do. And I felt like that had sort of exponentially kind of like mirrored back to me later on in my life but it's definitely started in middle school or sorry in secondary school where I was like yeah this is not sitting with me but I don't know what to do about this mm. and that then is unfolds in, in the way it does years later you wrote about that time mm. at secondary school in your song Johnny yeah what were some of the lyrics I have them written down if you can't no, remember them <laughs> The key telling me that Johnny's hidden me, that's why I'm late for school, but you never listen. Um, uh, the next lyric on the... Okay, um, uh, instead you always seem to end up blaming me for things I didn't do. didn't do for what it's worth. I didn't even want to tell you anything in case it made things worse, just so you know. Every day I learn a Johnny's hidden me, hey, mom and dad hurts. It's along, it's along those kind of... Come on. Uh, it was it was there. Oh, that was beautiful. It's so sad. Like how I think a lot of people who end up as communicators later in life mm. have some sort of salutary experience of not fitting in at school or being bullied. Totally. But at the time, it's an incredibly difficult thing to live through. So, what was that like for you? What were you feeling at the time? I mean, it's it's funny because when I wrote. Johnny, which was on my Story Goes album. I also wanted it to be, it was two stories in one. So it's my experience of, like I said, being roughed up or, and that bullying continues as being saying you're overweight or being told that you're fat at school. Cause I was, I was carrying weight, but I don't believe in that terminology. It's just, a, I was just a normal kid. It was, that was what it was. But in someone else's eyes, they didn't see it as conforming to how they thought being a normal kid was. But then there was also the part when I say about telling my mum and dad and them not listening. And I just wanted to go on record, because I know when I played it to my mum, I was like, mum, this isn't you, this isn't my dad, this isn't, like, grandma. I know you'd always listen to me, but when I talked to other kids who were going through bullying at the time, they would say, I can't talk to my parents. They're not listening to me anyway, even if I did tell them. So I kind of had two stories in one, because I felt for my mum, I was like, mum, I don't want you to feel like all these years later that I'm saying that you didn't listen to me, because if anyone could, would have listened to it, it would have been you. But I'd say that that moment of trying to process, what do you do here? Do you become the, the one who laughs it off? And I think for anyone who's experienced bullying, one of the mechanisms or defense mechanisms is oh, just laugh it off and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it didn't really happen and, you know, we just we keep it moving. The other one is you become super introverted where you don't want to go to school or you just shy away from everything and no one quite understands why you're feeling that way. And the third option, which kind of always seemed like you can never really do, was like, tell the teacher. It was never that easy because to tell the teacher felt like it was going to exacerbate the whole thing because they'd go straight in there like all guns blazing to go and tell the person that's bullying you and then they just double down on the bullying 
And it wasn't necessarily the physical thing all the time. It could be the mental one. It could be things they say. And I'd seen people who had brothers who had sisters, and it'd be like, oh, yeah, what am I going to do to your sister if you talk to anyone? So it was just like you've got this crazy things you're thinking wow and it may not even stop necessarily at the the school gates that's why I talk about Johnny it's like what happens outside when you get on the bus to go home teachers aren't there to help you so that was like wow that third option should be the one but I have to say though now I look at it from this vantage point it actually really was the one in the fact that you have to to tell someone, Mm -hmm. and that may not be necessarily a teacher, but you have to talk to someone, talk to your parents, hopefully they are open enough to listen to you, or talk to someone that you feel can take what you're saying and deal with it with sensitivity. But the talking part is the important part. And I think that's where I'm at now when I talk about that instance of bullying and of bullying, you do need to call it out because it's the underneath thing that's where it all goes wrong, Yeah, as hard as that may be. Did you feel like an outsider? I felt like, I don't question like why me, but then at the same time when you're seeing it happen to other people, you're like, why me, why them, why us? But then that kind of, like I said, you quickly kind of start to make stories up and start to become the the joker in the class who's always like, you're trying to be overly bubbly and got all the fun antics or you overly sing and perform. That was another thing that I noticed that even though I had... I love to sing Boys to Men, End of the Road. That was my tune. Yeah. yeah. Everyone was skipping the ad-libs. Yeah, I was like, no, 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 we're going to sing them out. <laughs> oh, sing it again, Craig, sing it again. But it would also be something that... These days, you can't go anywhere on the internet without running into the most horrible takes. You know, your good old-fashioned homophobes or your self-proclaimed alpha males who are writing two-page articles titled How to Score the Perfect Female in 10 Days. If you are just as sick of these outdated takes as we are, you will love our podcast, Outspoken, hosted by me, Sam Collins, and my incredible partner, Shannon. We are an LGBT couple who have seen it all, been called it all, and are ready to take on the never-ending world of outrageous online opinions. Each week, we bring you the most ridiculous videos, hot takes, and hellbent news we come across on the internet. So, come laugh with us as we dismantle outdated ideologies and tear apart the most confident idiots on the internet on our podcast, Outspoken. You can follow and listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you are listening right now. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I would lean into if I felt something was going to get... Yeah. funky I'd become the entertainer because that was one way of just holding it out and it's interesting because school is usually or just a, in our early childhood is where things start to get blocked and lodged energetically and traumas start that then as an adult we're here trying to unravel and unpack those things and unfortunately the only way to do that I've, I've experienced is you have to lean back into that same pain you've actually got to almost maybe not physically confront the person who bullied you in this instance, but you actually have to go there and feel that again and almost be, these years later, giving yourself a hug and saying, I'll listen to you. Mm. I've got you, don't you worry. And go there, and it actually then 
dislodges that energy that gets locked in to the body. I'm sure there's many, many more things I'm still trying to remove, you know. Well, something that you wrote in your email to me was then that sense of bullying never leaving you until you call it out. It played itself out in your adult life when it came to Bo Selector. And for anyone who doesn't know that, (laughs) I feel dreadful TV programme, it was Lee Francis, the quote-unquote comedian, routinely making a mockery of certain public figures. And you were the one that bore the brunt of it week after week after week. And I think it's phenomenally brave of you to choose to talk about it. So first of all, thank you for that. My pleasure. Why did you put it into this failure? Because it felt like it was the way in which the universe, God, whatever you you want to call it, higher power, saying, okay, what we're going to do, we're going to mirror the same thing that happened at school for you but now in a way that being someone who's in the public eye, we're going to just exponentially emphasise that to the whole world of how are you going to handle it this time round? That was the feeling kind of that I couldn't quite understand why am I feeling the same bullying thing happening all over again? I thought that was a period of time in school. This is where I say about things getting lodged in the body because it doesn't go anywhere. It's just been put under the carpet. And it's just that it then gets someone like Lee Francis to, to pull the, the wool out from the carpet and all of a sudden that gets back up in the air again. You're like, whoa, okay. I think the most frustrating thing with, with that series is that it wouldn't be acceptable now. No. And for me, like, to have gone through 10 years of being ridiculed, it wasn't just the show, it was what the, the aftermath of that show... And especially with Rewind, the song Rewind, and that line, both letter coming from that song, it was so steeped in heritage and culture and going out and performing that song and, and it changing the, the landscape of music in this country when the garage scene was so big. And then for that song to then became ridiculed, at first it was like, how is this happening? How is this, this song that meant so much? That, that changed my life, that changed thousands of people's lives who listen to that. But then more importantly, like, I couldn't understand where the point of bullying was so focused in on, on me in particular. And I knew it was because of the, the title was one thing, but it was just cheap shots all the time. Yeah. And there were many people on, who were being ridiculed. I mean, I talk about... And I had a moment when I was on BBC Breakfast where I, I broke it down. I felt actually a healing as I was actually saying it publicly to bring it back up again. And I was speaking about Trisha, I was speaking about Mel C. And I, didn't, and I wanted to kind of give the full scope of it, that it, it wasn't just the fact that there was three black people on that show and they were being ridiculed. It was racism, however you look at that. Yeah. If a black face, you put a rubber mask on and you run it like that, you're, you're being racist. And I, and, I, and I didn't want to make... I didn't want to make up stories because that's the same victim feeling that I had when I was being bullied at school. So you make excuses like, oh, nah, maybe he, you know, I don't know, maybe he needed that, that pound that he took from me. Maybe, and furthermore, maybe, I don't know, he, he just, this is, it's just a comedian, it's just a comedy thing. But I was like, there's three people that you've done that to, so there's 
clearly it's racism. You've also then continued that and bullied every single one on the show, from David Beckham when he was trying to find his voice. Let's not, rem let's not forget, there was a time when he was being ridiculed about the sound of his voice, and he was trying to find his voice and talk. All my man did was just literally just like, I'm going to trigger you, I'm going to go to the point that I know will get you, and we're going to go there. There was nothing kind of... These one sort of hypothetical characters that were kind of... These were real people with lives and feelings, and it was cheap shots. Okay, so it is, that was the premise of the show, and I felt like, for me, I needed to just make him accountable for those things, because I think the difference where I sit today is I don't have the emotional attachment because I've been able to go through the trauma of that bullying. And like I said, 10 years is a long time to unpack it. Moving to Miami was, I never, people said, you went to Miami, it was the Ferrari and the cars. I was, I was like, I'm telling myself this story, but actually I left because I needed to go and work out why the place that I call home is now feeling like somewhere that I can't walk down the street without someone bullying me and it's not and I kind of felt that it wasn't so personal from the person saying something to me it was because Lear normalized it mm. he'd made it okay it's a funny thing just do it. it was banter as banter yeah so it, it kind of it, it was it was a hard process to go away from a place that it was home go to Miami go through everything that went on there but to sit here today wow and seeing this audience here today and knowing that I can speak my truth it's a healing to do this. And I, I hope no one has to go through that in their life. Like I, I'm glad that that is a time that is, could not be accepted now. And, but at the same time, we will talk on it about accountability without emotion. I'm not here to be the oppressor now. I'm not here to be on the stage and let me... No, 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 because that's just the flip of being the bully. I'm just saying factually what went down. And just to, to finalise the part with Lee is that when they talked about like the, the apology, it just felt that this is more than us having tears here. That moment is enough for, for, for me to buy as a, as a proper apology. Real apology would be to take accountability is, are you actively going into the community and talking to people and learning about black history? Are you going to the bullying uh, alliance and speaking with people who've been bullied and, and speaking with them actively? Because we can all do, oh, let's get the tears out. And let's, mm -hmm. It just felt a little bit... And I, hollow. Hollow, and I hate to say it, that the timing was just... It was too in line with everything that was going on in the world, with George Floyd, the Black Lives Matters movement, the protests around the world, and then it was a reaction to that, as opposed... And furthermore, I didn't actually say anything at the time. If that was the time to double down on it, it would have been like, do it now. Like, yeah. That's the time to go in. I was like... I'm not here to do that. And this is like a couple of years later now that I've got, this, I've got the book. I'm just talking factually about what went down and I really hope that he does take accountability. I have no grudge against him. I'm not going to be that guy, but it is what it is. I respect you so much for how you have put every element of that and also for the fact that you went away and rebuilt yourself mm. in so many ways and it actually leads us on to your second failure because you went to Miami and you did rebuild yourself, your career, your sense of identity, I imagine, and also your body, Craig. Because we've all seen the Instagram pictures. <coughs> we've all seen them. But I'm very interested in why you chose this as your second failure, which is your failure to listen to your body. 
but now you don't need validation, which is a beautiful thing. So yeah. tell, us, tell us about your relationship with your body. Okay, so it's funny how all the, the same themes are happening. If you look back when I said when I was at school, it was, there was the bullying element, but then also at school when, when people were saying I was overweight. It, very quickly, early doors, I recognized that I would be the shoulder to cry on for a girl that I might have found quite attractive and I was like, we had this beautiful rapport and she'd, she'd pour her heart out to me and she'd be like, oh, Craig, you know, <laughs> I don't know why he doesn't like me and like, he's, you know what I mean? He's like, I know, he just became the captain of the school football team and I'm just thinking, oh, here, here we go. We're going to go through this whole thing. He's got the six pack and he's got the full captain of the school football team and yet you have such an emotional connection with me. You're pouring your heart out to me. We're having a real relation here but you're not physically attracted. And I think early doors, I took on this thing of, okay, then I need to lose weight. I need to conform to this notion of what society was portraying to me. And that was in school. Then going into being an artist, doing crazy yo-yo diets and crazy things to try and lose weight. So by the time I'd come out with Fill Me In, I think people were just like, we would never really known what this whole story of you being supposedly overweight. So then that then, Years later, well, not even years later, it continued to be the thing that I was training, training and working out. But it's funny, though, because I had this fascination of, of if I get the six-pack, maybe then I'll be seen. And man, did we get the six-pack? I think I got a 10-pack the way I was going on in Miami. <laughs> I, I, like, but on one hand, I can look back and say, wow, like, I could definitely get there. I got the thing. But even when I got the, the, the crazy pack, that wasn't what I wanted to be seen for. I just wanted to be seen for the young kid that was at school who was the shoulder to cry on and wanted to have a real relationship. It was never the physical, but Miami made me go 10 times over trying to like conform again to the Miami South Beach and everyone's got the topless and you're doing things. That definitely drew me in. But funny enough, when we talk about the start of the book, which I open with, it actually was something that coincided with the time when Bo Selector came out. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting that even the body, the physical part of the body that happened years later on where I, I, I don't want to jump in because I know you might want to go there with the actual question, actually happened at the same time. So yeah, physically I felt like I've been through a bit of a the hamster wheel of like, wow yes, we can drop our body fat down to 3.5 if I take it any further than this we're going to maybe find ourselves in calling 999 and this guy yeah. is like, it. it sounds like you both wanted to be seen and disguise yourself, which is a difficult contradiction to live with in your physical form. I wonder, I ask this question of a lot of female identifying pop stars and public figures as to whether they felt under pressure from the industry to look a certain way. But I wonder if you ever felt that or if a record label ever said you have to look this way. Do you know what? It's funny that they... I never was... Early Doors, I've had an amazing manager called Colin Lester who's been with me for like 22 years now. And I've got so much love for him. He's always held space for me. And I remember when he told my grandma when, God rest her soul, when he, he was like, look, I can't promise your, your, your grandson success, but I will definitely do everything I possibly can to protect him and make sure he's got the best chance to do what he's going to do. And that saying that to my grandma, Early Doors, really made her calm. And she was like, I can breathe now. I feel okay. But I'd, I'd say that when I got into the music industry, I was already under the illusion that I had to keep this pretense up just because of what I'd experienced outside of this. 
remember vividly walking past the, just after I kind of finished at McDonald's, and it wasn't really because of McDonald's, the, the eating a lot of food. I was, I was quite cautious about my eating there, even though I would say if you want to take the spatula of the fries with the tray over for your, just like your normal sort of melt spray <laughs> across the tray, it's definitely an up if anyone's working for McDonald's and you want to get the in. Definitely, yeah, because yeah, they only give you a regular meal. But if you want the extra fries, you can, you know what I mean? Yum. Um, <laughs> sorry, we digress. But the... It, it definitely was more me than it was the, the industry enforcing that on me. But I have have seen how society does still adopt that. And running up to more real time, it's great because we did the Who You Are video more recently. And I've had two amazing editors. Uh, one, a structural editor called Julia Kellaway and, and a lovely editor called Julian Stan. And both of them, two amazing women who made me look, in, look at myself when I was sending manuscripts in and they'd be like, you, is that really how you're feeling? Mm-hmm. And just, just mirroring me enough to go deeper. But when it came to the Who You Are video, it's funny because Julian said, so what, are you going to go for a, a six-foot-tall, blonde model like for the video? What, what's the move here? And I could see it was a bit of a trick question cause, and I was like, Julian, you know me now, right? You, you, you know me that actually where I'm at, I'm wearing my heart on my sleeve and this whole portrayal that I have to check myself and not double down with this is the look that only can work for... I was like, no, no, we've got to get this real. I got to, I've got to look back and change the way that I've seen music videos and I've seen the way I talk about women because you I now see that there was moments where I was objectifying and I needed to kind of like, really, is that how it is? Or I was going for a certain look for the video. Is that really how it is? And now I feel like I'm, I'm much more aware of, of, of society. Do you feel secure in your body now? I do, because when my body... When you get certain pains in your body, certain... You have to have a different relationship with your body. I had experience where it kind of led into incredible depression for me with, with my body. With your back? With my back, which is... Like I said, it kind of touched at a point where... Early doors were niggles I'd have when around the bicycle at the time. I was training, but there was something when they say the, you're carrying the weight on your shoulders, or especially even the kind of the throwaway lines, have you got a bit of a dodgy back? Those kind of things, yeah. I have a totally, you know what I'm saying? Bless you. Bless you. No, because it's like, do you know what I mean? You, you knew, I could feel it. But genuinely, like that kind of sneeze when you've got back pain. Agony, yeah. Oh my. So. <laughs> My experience was that I walked out at Good Morning America in a, Good Morning America in America, and I could feel pain prior to going on stage. Um, I was about to sing "I Know You," the song I had with Bastille. It was at Times Square, big, big TV, and I remember walking out on stage. I stepped up onto the stage, and I felt a pain that I cannot quite describe. Like I know my body well, and I think we all know we know our bodies well, right? We're, we're very much encased in it. We know an ache. We know a oh, that was a painful, that was acute. This, however, was something that I had never felt in my whole 35 years of being on this planet. I was like, whoa. And I still had to be able to perform. So through gritted teeth, I'm singing this song. And I'm like, I feel like I put my... Imagine having toothache, but in your back, but it's not 
it's not giving up. So it's like it's just, it, was, it was like having nerve pain and nerve pain for anyone who's going has gone through sciatica or has any sort of nerve. Oh my gosh, it's literally like give me something to take right now, or I have to dip out of this. And I use the word dip out in the book because I had some very dark thoughts after that performance where it just wouldn't let up. I'd had all these different MRIs, I'd seen all these doctors, had injections, had facet injections, had, it just wasn't easing up. And I was like, if this continues, yeah, I may have to dip out. And those words, dip out, I, I never wanted to, but people would say that, was it what you were thinking about committing suicide, you were thinking about doing. If that pain had continued, I don't know where I would be. And it was the first time I had to have a real relationship with my body where I had to start to really recognize that we're not two separate entities here and that my body's been trying to tell me this for a long time and I need to slow down and I need to actually really come into communion with my body and understand what this is and I'm so grateful to sit here today that's why you see like the cushions behind me yeah I'm not playing with this Aww. like like it's no games like I do you know what I mean oh yeah you're good no 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 we're not I still have problems in that lower back but the, thankfully the nerve part of it is kind of subsided which is I'm grateful for And you said to me that you now no longer need validation. Mm-mm. Tell me, Guru Craig, tell me how to get to that point. Because I think, especially in this age of social media, everyone here will relate to that need for outside approval and that sense. And I know you're, you're a recovering people pleaser as well. Yeah, yeah. That sense of outsourcing your sense of self to other people's opinions of you. How have you got to the stage now where you don't need that exterior validation? Do you know what? I'd say that I'm work in progress. I think if anyone that actually, and, and even if I've said it in the book and haven't landed it properly, saying that I've, I don't need validation from anyone, I think everyone would be like, you're BSing there, like, come on, like, you're, it's work in progress. It's something that you want to be celebrated for whatever you're doing. Forget musician, you just want to be celebrated as being a human being who's amazing, who's a mother, who's a father, who's just done something great at work. You want to be seen, you want to be heard. So there is a little bit of, you want to feel something back, but I feel like I've definitely recognised over the, the short years I've been on this planet now that the authority figures I was looking for in the world or in the, my intimate circles of thinking, well, if I get that, then, I've, then I'm okay. Now I'm, I'm, I'm okay. That's nonsense. And you know what, if I was going to say, if there's a movie you should watch, that if you want to watch it in a slightly different way, is The Wizard of Oz. Watch that movie with the sense that Dorothy is you. You're there in, on the yellow brick road, and all of the scarecrow, the tin man, the lion, are all parts of your parts of you that have been fragmented and you're trying to bring back in. And Toto is your intuition. And the, 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 the wizard at the end is the authority figure, is a bit of a charlatan, he's just trying to tell you a story. Watch that movie in that sense and you'll see that actually, even though there's a part where the curtain's drawn back and it's like, okay, there he is. We've seen the charlatan now, the authority figure's been outed but somehow still can tell you a story, still can kind of tell you, no, 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 you, you, let me give you uh, academia, let me give you the paper to tell you you've, you've got the heart now and you, you've got the intelligence and you're courageous. And it's only when you see, and sorry, I'm just like, I love children's movies because I think they, there's so much metaphysics behind them. And if, you love Willy Wonka, don't you? I love Willy Wonka. Yes. But, the, but oh, Willy Wonka, don't get me on Willy Wonka. We will, okay. there'll be, we'll be here all night. four hour <laughs> break it down, right? 
But to, to end on Wizard of Oz, when notice that there's a part at which Dorothy's about to go off in this balloon back to Kansas. Again, the authority figure telling a bit of a story, we're going to take you back, I'm the one to save you, I've got you, because she wants to go home, right? But if you look at Toto as being her intuition, Toto, all the way through, has been that inner voice that's been speaking to her. When Toto jumps out of the balloon, and she has to go and run over to go and get Toto, and then the balloon goes flying off with the, with the wizard, Again, her intuition was the thing that was leading her all the way. Craig, this Just is real talk. wild. I know, this is amazing, and I never expected tonight to take this turn. But, like, Toto is our intuition. We need Toto. that on a T-shirt right now. Listen, we can go into partnership. We can yes. do the whole thing. And David and Day. Ooh. David and Day merch. Sounds Come so good. On. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just click our, just click our little shoes, yeah? Yes. I noticed, don't get it twisted, she could have done that from the start, yeah? But she had to go through that whole journey to go yes. and see you do all this when she could have done that from the beginning. And isn't that a beautiful metaphor of life? That you have to go through the journey yeah. and the experience to actually speak on it. That's the thing I'm noticing that even here tonight. How can I speak about bullying if I didn't experience it? Mm. How, can I, how can I speak about anything like depression if you don't experience it? Otherwise, it's just very passive and you're sort of giving, oh yeah, well, just say the affirmations and you're going to be cool. No? does not work in affirmation is not getting this pain down right now mm. or for me to kind of tell someone that actually to dismiss someone's pain um, by the virtue of just being able to watch as an observer it's just not the one and don't you notice as you said earlier and this is why you hold space so beautifully and I will come back to you, you <laughs> genuinely because no, you know what it's not just like, I don't want to be like I'm just hyping up but genuinely like you're you're giving me the opportunity to speak my truth in front of this wonderful audience tonight. But at the same time, it's being able to recognize that, that teachers, mentors, people who actively make a difference in society are people who've actually felt the pain. Mm. Like my manager, unfortunately, went through cancer not, not that long ago. And he got through it. He, he's, he's doing amazing. And I said to him, I said, Colin, you could actually speak on cancer now. Yeah. Like, you can speak with, with heart. You, 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 know how, you can know how it feels when you go back to feeling. So you have a different kind of now position to, to stand from. You can actually have different conversations with people. And yes, maybe we signed up for that ride, you know, to be in this position. And you've signed up for a ride to be in this position to do what you're doing. That's why you bring the crowds in. Oh, if I wasn't here, there'd be someone else sitting here. They're still because of you, Elizabeth, because they love what you're doing. They're like... Let's not get it twisted. So give a round of applause no, for Elizabeth. Um, so lovely. Thank you. Let it be known. You are so lovely. I just, talk. Can you just be my guest like every episode from now on? So I'll be your but hype man. I, I totally agree. It's like every failure is an opportunity for growth. That's exactly how I feel. We're so on the same wavelength on that. Your final failure, I'm so glad you've chosen it. Mm. It's your failure to open your heart. Yeah. I know. <laughs> And it's the one thing, Craig, that comes up in every interview I've ever read of yours. People are, uh, are intrigued by your romantic life, mm -hmm. and you don't speak about it. Totally. So I'm, so I'm grateful to you. Yeah. Tell us about your failure to open your heart and your, and your journey with that. I mean, again, it, it goes back to early, early times, like childhood stuff. I remember putting on an under-18s gig with a friend of mine Clinton in Southampton and I went 
all out. It was the same night as a big venue was putting on the same under-18s. I was like 15, I think it was 15, 16 at the time. And I printed out the tickets and I like, got them laminated with like little, I like, did it all proper. Like, you had a laminating machine, didn't a you? A laminating machine, had the CD printer. Like when I was, a few years later when I was at college, they were like, why are you always in the library, Craig? You must be really like, like <laughs> studying. I was like, studying? I'm just rinsing out all these printer cartridges and the paper they got in there. I don't know about anything. I've got some mixtapes I need to sell. Um, but it, it goes back to, I'm putting on the show and there was one girl in particular I really wanted to impress. And I wasn't sure if she was going to come to my, sh- my little show that I was putting on. And by the way, the entertainment for the night happened to be me because it was much cheaper to just pay for yourself, yeah? So uh, I was the DJ and the performer. <laughs> and the big uh, icon, I think it was called, was the venue in Southampton that was like, I was thinking she's going to go there. But then she ended up, I hear that she's come into the show. So she comes, she comes to my show. I'm there all dressed up in all white, like I'm back in the day, Usher, nice and slow. I've got the beanie cap on, the goggles. I'm like, the whole thing. I pulled out a rose, a real rose. And at them times, I wasn't looking to be spending £2.50 on a a rose yet. This was meant something to me. She's there, she comes through. I'm singing my heart. When you take it to a place nice and quiet, there ain't no one here to rent a rush. Ain't got a rush. I just wanna take it nice and slow. And I'm giving her the rose, and she's smiling. Her eyes are like, wow, it's, like, it's happening. I'm like, I've been so, like, I've fancied you for so long. Next thing you know, after the show, she's like, oh, like, here's, here's my number. Remember those times the number is your landline, yeah? yeah. Right? <laughs> So you still got to go through like calling up and is it dad's going to pick up or his mum going to... So now I'm, I'm now calling her up and we're speaking for like an hour on the phone and it's just like, wow. It's like, and, she, and she was like, you know what? Can, can, can I go out with you? Now them times again, go out with you is like you've literally got married, right? You've, yeah. you're, you're establishing, <laughs> this is legit now. She's like, yeah. So it's a thing now. So we had this one week, two week kind of like whirlwind... Yeah. Seven days. Almost. <laughs> like you, Elizabeth. I, oh, that was an open goal. So good. Like... <laughs> we got the happy meal. I showed her about the tray and the whole fries. She was so happy, yeah? It's like, this guy's so romantic, yeah? Little did I know that it was going to be like two weeks later on. She was going to be a bit weird on the phone and she didn't want to pick up and I didn't really understand what was going on here. And... I end up going over to a house with a friend of mine who could drive at the time. Um, and I knock on the door, and I could hear my mixtape playing in the background. I was making mixtapes here, so I could hear that. Mm, take me to a place and I don't hear that playing in the back. And I think, oh, she's listening to my tune. She's in her feelings. Little do I know when I knock on the door, I see this figure coming down the stairs in his boxer shorts. I'm like, who's Whoa. this guy? To your music. To my music. And I, oh I put God. love into that mixtape. That, the blend Wait. was so nice. And he, and he came down the stairs, no fault of his own. And, you know, he's being like super hard behind the door, alpha, like, hey, what are you here for? And I'm like, I just want to speak to her. Mm. And he's doing this thing, and we're doing this little dance bet- between the double glazed windows. Yeah, it's not like <laughs> everyone's super like like puffing their chest, and we've got this massive glass between us. I'm just thinking <laughs> it all went a bit south. Ultimately, Nikki had gone back, and I, put, I said her name, but I say it in the in the in the book, so I don't want to feel like I've outed anyone. But I didn't say her surname, so because I didn't want it to be something. It was, we were young, yeah. It was like mm-hmm. one of those sort of situations, and we broke up that night. 
there's a song from LSG, um, Levert, Sweat and Gill, called uh, My Body. It's an instrumental. But the song was, and I wrote over it. I couldn't sleep last night. It didn't feel right. What you done to me, baby? Oh, no, no, no. I couldn't sleep last night, no. It didn't feel right. What you done to me, babe? I'm in my bedroom right now. I can hear it. It's like it's happening again. <laughs> wow. That night, I think, clue in the title, I couldn't sleep. <laughs> but I woke up like... I had a dream thinking that didn't happen, that I didn't break up with her. I mean, this was my first, like, real sort of... And my heart just I'd closed down. I was, I, I was... I couldn't understand what I'd done wrong. I'd done everything that seemed right. Mm. And once again, all of the compounding issues that I had of, oh, the, am I overweight? Um, I'm not the school captain of the football team. I'm not... All these things start to trigger up again. I was like, I've sang my heart out to her, and even that didn't even work. So I had to process that, and I think my heart closed down at that point. Mm -hmm. It was the first time I'd ever cried like over someone, the first time I didn't have the answers to something, and it was happening over months. I was like, whoa, we've only been together like two weeks. This is crazy. But it's funny when you're a child mm. or when you're a teenager because that then kind of set the tone for the rest of maybe 20 years or so. 20 years? Yeah, because I think that the relationships that I were having was... I this protective mechanism kicked in of never be that vulnerable. Yeah. And we talked about the power of vulnerability. So I was, and I, I say this in the book as well, that I've, it pains me to feel that there were, there were some, some women in my life who really were trying to break down those barriers and really wanted to get to my heart and to know that actually it was okay to let down my guard. But because I had, I mean, the steel gates, the whole thing was barricaded that... I can never give them that the thing. Mm. And it pains me, and I have a lot of empathy, and I feel sincerely in my heart. Like, I, 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 to anyone who tried to get through, I just appreciate that you were trying to just really unravel something that had nothing to do with them. But when I sit here today, I sit here with the armors down, the, the, the heart is, is it's there. I know that I have to lean in to that, the vulnerability because that's where it all really is but also I feel like I've done a lot of the relationship work with myself to know that if I can really understand self-love not from the way in which sometimes it's portrayed but the love to actually do the work and go and do the shadow work and go in and feel that pain again and heal that part go back to that time when you heard the mixtape feel it again mm. to release that opens me up for a relationship opens me back up for love and that really that makes me smile because I feel like it's been a long time coming to have that. Beautiful. I've got so many questions about it. So mm. it sounds to me like you, when you took the risk to show up as yourself again and again in different forms with that girl, with your singing, with your body at school, with the bullies, with Lee Francis, like that you were slapped down metaphorically so many times for being yourself, yeah. that you then went through this period of trying to disguise that, and now, here today, you have the courage to show up as yourself and be greeted with love, because you're so amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. It's, a, it's such a beautiful thing. Thank you. And, and we're it's so felt. grateful that we share, like, and, and so 
really my question is, are you single? <laughs> I am. <laughs> and the heart is wide open. Excellent. Excellent. I've got the, the, the heart is now inside the tin man. Yeah. <laughs> the courage of the lion is here. The scarecrow, I don't know about necessarily of having a brain, but like it's, we're working on that part. But yeah, I'm, I just feel like I'm, I'm in a much better place now that I'm not using the same old played out excuse of, oh, I'm a bit busy and mm. the music and that was all stories, you know? I'm not bit. Not... What's your Taur- star sign? Taurus. Extremely imp- Taurus, okay. Taurus. Taurus. <laughs> I think there's a lady there that's single. <laughs> You, I mean, when you say you're ex, I'm not sure how this sets up the whole thing, but it, it's funny because the, the tourist star sign of itself, I mean, I'm yeah. very grounded and very like, well, I had to get in tune with being grounded, but into all of the senses, love to kind of like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? And I don't want, and I want, I'm a feel person, I'm a very tangible, I want to give you the hug and, you know, it's like, so I've got so much romance inside of oh me. Oh my God, you're like, you're extremely eligible, Craig. <laughs> I, I want I set to set myself you up, up with several nicely friends. here. Yeah. The, you're going to do it, do it in front of an audience, like uh, do, yeah. it, yes. do it on such an amazing podcast at the same time. Just put it out there into the ether. Yes, you've got to put though. it in the universe. Do you really do have to put it in the universe? Okay. Yeah? <laughs> Taurus is perfect. What's your name? Alex. Alex. Is that good numerology? Well, um, Aries. Are you Aries? Aries? Okay, okay, Alex. Uh, Aries is a great sign. <laughs> we'll come back to you in it's, the Q and A. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting though because I'm kind of you, you do start to see the, the certain <laughs> traits and characteristics in certain star signs if you're into it that you start to be like. <laughs> okay. But also at the same time, you, the universe is always at play. That's the beautiful thing. It's almost like when you least expect it. That's what I've noticed as well. Yeah. When you're looking over there for the thing that you think you want, it's actually a lot closer. It could be like literally that moment of serendipity. And I really do believe in that. Mm. that it happens with someone that's been close to you for a long time. Or when you're right, it will reflect back in yeah. you in the same way as the, the failures that have become successes in a lot of respects. That you have to, it, the universe keeps mirroring it in a multiple faceted way of until you get the memo on this. Yeah. You came here to experience this you're not doing that well at kind of getting through this, so what I'll do is I'll double down on it for you and I'll give it to you in this way for bullying. Mm-hmm. Or I'll double down on it and give you pain publicly on a TV that you should be smiling in Times Square having a great time. We're going to make you sing I Know You, yeah? And then furthermore, you're going to do another song called Magic while you're feeling that pain. It was like the universe was like, I've got to do this. I tried to tell you 10 years back, a little niggle here, niggle there. You don't want to listen. So, but I get it now. Mm. I'm, I'm in tune now. And is there a sense that because you've been through this journey and you are now in your 40s, which I think is the best decade yet? It's a good time. <laughs> it is, isn't it? You've got the Benjamin Button thing going on, like, like I have... A oh, you, I mean, you are totally Benjamin Buttoning this whole... Like, I need to ask you about your skincare regime, but off stage. <laughs> um, but do you feel fearless, or maybe not entirely fearless, but do you feel you have less fear because of everything you've been through and everything you've experienced and where you are now? Yeah, very much so. I feel like... As you said, like when I when you hit forty or whatever age, I mean, age is nothing but a number. But um, it's that thing of you, I don't sweat the small stuff. I recognise that the things that I made to be the the Wizard of Oz, the authority, the validation, it was all in my head. And once you remove that, you start to just wear your heart on your sleeve, and you you become empowered in that respect. And I think the more conscious I've become, and the more aware of how the way I am 
showing up affects people around me. That for me has really highlighted that if I come authentically, people meet me at the same place. If I show up and I speak on it, we meet in the same. And I think that is the key for all of us here because it's, not, it's nothing to do with the role to role. I talk about in the book, my accountant came over and he's about to tell me probably some bad news about something. I pull out one massive chocolate bar. <laughs> Cadbury's big dairy milk, the crazy one, right? laid it down on the table and there were some lint chocolates as well and all of a sudden he snapped out of being Mr. Accountant I've got to tell you something about your finances to the kid in the candy shop he was back in Woolworths pick and mix I could see him he was like with his mum like can I have the fudge can I have the for a moment and then as soon as he caught himself he flipped back into oh serious we're back in the got to tell you about your taxes got to tell you about your thing and it's interesting that we have this roll to roll thing that we do like like I can be the musician one minute or we can be the author one moment or we can be working here or we can play football here, whatever it may be. But when you get underneath all of that story, we're just all connected. We're just all human beings going through the same thing. And I think getting more of that out of us yeah. makes us feel more connected. And I think that's really important. Oh, I love that you're the kind of host who provides Cadbury and Lint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all like sides of the spectrum of chocolate there. Across the board. If yeah. you want to feel like homely... Yes. You want to feel a little bit spicy and saucy. Sophisticated. Yeah, you want a little, I'll give yeah. you a little lint, you know what I mean? <laughs> Probably still out of date like the ones that I had when I was selling them at school from the market store, but let's keep that between us. Take a bite. <laughs> no one else wow, it's, it's so hard, this lint. Great. Craig, David, we are so grateful for you. I am so grateful for you for showing up here in all of your beautiful vulnerability, your courage, your openness, your honesty, your talent. It has been such a pleasure to share this evening with you. Thank you so, so much for being part of How to Fail. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. What a legend. Elizabeth, I love you. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Three for luck. What's, what's okay. one over there? Just one last one just for okay. the people then. This one's for you. <laughs> do you know how good it is to be able to do that kind of bow there? For a man of stuff with a, Oh, yeah, with yeah. Your lower back. Good feet. Trust me. <laughs> we hope we haven't put it out. Will you save for some questions? Of course I can. Amazing. You can't just ask him for his phone number, okay? Um, but if anyone has any questions, there are some roving microphones. I think there's one. If you just put your hands up and I'll try and get to as many of you as possible. I'm coming to you first in the jacket. That row, Oz is coming with a microphone. Thank you for being patient. And I saw you over there. There was, yes. Okay. Oh my gosh, two of you over there. Okay. Okay. So you've had an amazing career and um, you're now an author. Congratulations. Thank you. What would you like your next 10 years to be? What do you see for yourself? I love that. It's funny because I can't really see like further than, than this room right now. Genuinely, it just, I, I, and I've always kind of said to myself to stay present and stay in this and swim in this, this moment because then we get really beautiful moments all the time, every day. If I can say as an overall arcing thing that in 10 years' time I could make an even more profound difference in people's lives, not only through the music but also through 
the way that we connect and we speak and trying to highlight staying conscious because I noticed it when I do Zoom calls sometimes where I'm like, are we just firing off information at each other or can we actually have a moment where we can actually speak and I say, what's that in the background you got over there? And they're like, oh yeah, that's the, 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 gave it to me. It's like a little thing someone gave it to me like back in the day. And they tell you a story, then you get an anecdote. Then you're like, oh wow, we're connecting. I want to connect. Because mm. if I can do that, then I think that we can have like just a much more connected society that's like, doesn't feel fragmented and we're all much, we're, we're a lot more like each other than we'd, we'd like to think, you know? I mean, that's music to Alex the Aries's. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. she's all about connecting with you. Of course. I just, <laughs> Thank you. I'm also someone who doesn't have five-year plans anymore. I much prefer to be guided by Toto, my intuition. Yes. When things arise. Totally. Yeah. Toto, yeah. the intuition is going to be the new one. You're going to watch yes. that movie differently. <laughs> promise you. Okay, I'm going to come over here. There was a, yes, there are two there that I can see. There's a woman in an, a Pucci-inspired top who we're going to come to first. And then we'll come to you afterwards. Yes, thank you. Okay. I should just say, while we're waiting for the microphone to get yeah, go for it. there, that there are people in this audience who have been brought together by the power of your music. Rachel Carter, I hope it's not embarrassing to call you out, but you DM'd me on Instagram and you met your partner because you bonded over a Craig David song in Shepherd's Bush. Yes. That is everything. Isn't that beautiful, talking about connection? Yeah, it's, I, I just can't, I never can take that for granted. I still feel like the kid who... Who, who wrote the song and wanted to share something I was feeling. Little did I know that it would be something that connects two people. Yeah. That, there's no number one, there's no accolade that someone can give you than that. That's, that's the whole point. So I hope everything's like continues to just grow together and you get to hear some new music together and you're just vibing. Thank you, Craig. Okay, coming to you now. Hi, Craig. Hey, how are you? Hi, I'm a lecturer, so I sort of picked up on a few of your themes, thinking as an educator, picking up on themes of sort of young people and these, you know, ways we think you need to increase your resilience. And I'm just thinking, obviously, we've got obviously schools and universities and institutions thinking, you know, you need to learn to cope with this better how are you going to increase your resilience I just wondered what are your thoughts on that and whether you know you agree with that onus being put on the young person to you know increase their ways of coping with with this or how much you think it's society and they need to change I mean I'd feel like with society it's funny because once you if you don't bring it down to sort of the minutiae to a smaller kind of micro part, it feels like it's society and it kind of becomes very wafty and then it, it never really kind of changes. I have to say that it's always going to be through communication and through relationship and being able to speak our truth. I think that's where the, the social media and the, and the way in which the internet came around has given people a voice to be able to just speak outwardly and not really worry about what's coming back. I do feel like the resilience thing feel, feels to me very much similar to like the man up and kind of work through it and no, nah, no, we're not doing that anymore. That's some old school patriarchal system that we need to flip it into a matriarchal place which is being more empathic, more sensitive, listening. That's the key, I think, actually, of all this for me is to listen because I haven't really got the answers. I'm just like someone who's on the journey as much as everyone else, but is to listen to what you're saying 
and recognize that there is something that needs to be done and what can I do to show up? And I think as a, as a man, that's, that's something that I find is really important to me. I need to listen in particularly to, to empower women, which is women who kind of, especially in particular, because this empathy and intuition is a feminine energy. And that's something that men have not nailed. That's why we are where we are right now. And I'm not, it's not like bashing men, I'm, I'm one myself, but I'm one. But to listen. Yeah. That's why I feel like I have a really good group of, of, of women around me who, when they talk, I listen to what they're saying. I was with Davina McCall recently, yeah. and we were on Radio 2, and she was talking about menopause, and something that I was like, wow, this is not, not fascinating, but more of, this is something that needs to be normalised. Yeah, it's, what's fascinating is that we don't know about it in the way that we should. It should just be a an everyday thing that we've talked about for millennia. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can only speak on it from a point of, of now wanting to know, okay, wh- where can I show up in this? Because I was, and I spoke to my mum about this and she should be okay. I was like, I said, mum, like, I could see a change in a, a period of time with you that was different. Sorry, we digress from the question, but I just, it's love, genuinely, because I feel it's still, we're still, it's still this. That I was like, wow, I saw the change in temperament in the hot flushes and the way in which she would one minute be happy one minute be sad one minute be very conscious about putting on weight and all, everything that Davina was talking about and then when I went and did some of my own research and I know that obviously Davina has the book so you can mm. for everyone to kind of look at them menopausing is a new book by the way which I, I am now engrossed in to understand oh, but, I love but, do you know why because as a, as a man if if I don't wise up and understand what's going on. How can I be in a relationship with someone and then those moments happen and I'm not quite sure, is it me? Is it, what happened, what happened to you? Is it, no, 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 this is actually something that we need to normalise. And I think especially men need to wise up to that. Women know it intrinsically, you know, and you're just wanting to say, can we just make this normal? Can we actually have the options to do what we're doing? So it's just interesting that it's the listening part, mm. doubling back to what you're saying. I'm... I want to listen and learn because if I can help from my side of it, I can't actually feel it for, for a woman. And that's yeah. the thing. But I can, I can hold space. And at that point, yeah, hopefully I can be a voice to other men. Say, look, be vulnerable. Speak up your truth on this. Speak on these things because other people need it. I think that's a really interesting point, that idea that sometimes individual resilience is used as a sticking plaster for when the culture has to change. And it's sort of about identifying which one is which, like whose responsibility is whose. So thank you for Craig, and thank you for that brilliant question. And thank yes, you. I'm coming to you, the, the very, green, is it a green top? I was wondering, in terms of identity, what is your experience of being mixed race? From someone, myself, I'm mixed race. I've got to say that it's one of the most beautiful things to grow up with my father being black from Grenada, having come over at a period of time with the Rindrush generation and knowing all of the things that, now knowing even more of the, of the things he was going through as a black man in the UK at the time that he came over, which pains me when he tells me some of the stories which I didn't really know about till more recently. I knew he, he's a bass guitarist um, in a band called Ebony Rockers. And I used to flick through the records as a child and I was like, oh, wow, I love these, love the songs. But I didn't know what he was, that it was so stooped in 
trying to change the way in which society had been marginalizing ethnic groups, the way in which the, the times were, and him trying to make a difference at the time. And then my mum being white and having Jewish heritage and there being the, the Holocaust that, that went on with my grandmother and her being a reformed Jew, Jew and her stories that she tell me about that side of life. And also, this is kind of, I need to give context to this because I'm sort of going in between sort of like race and religion, but her going over the Itchen Bridge in Southampton and bombs dropping down in World War Two and thinking, wow, this is like unbelievable. These stories of of resilience that we talked about then it was a different generation like at that time. And I felt like I've kind of been able to pull all of this in to be able to almost like sort of coin a phrase, but to walk the line, yeah, like down between and represent all of it in a way that's not black and white, it's not any faith, backs and forwards, it's like I'm going to find the middle ground for all of this and bring it together because I feel like there's a third part that gets missed and I see this in politics so much where it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth but actually we actually addressing the thing that we actually really need to deal which is people's lives and livelihoods. Are we actually addressing something? So I never felt torn between. That's why I feel like I've kind of been given this opportunity to speak my truth that will hopefully make the difference in some way. Because it brings people together rather than... We have to have that. Otherwise, we're just playing out the same game that we've played out for, for years on end. It's me against you. That's the old patriarchal system. It's conquer and divide. It's like there's a middle part of this, which is the third part, which I really feel is where we're entering into, where people are starting to open up and talk. But also for me, someone who is mixed-raced, I feel that's a real privilege to be in that situation, to hmm. talk on these things. So let me ask you this, would you ever go into politics? <laughs> you know, it's funny because I was asked this the other day, yeah, because... Oh, uh, I hate no, it when other people ask No, but questions. they didn't ask it like you asked it, Elizabeth. <laughs> they, they, it was like more in sort of jest, but I know you sort of, there's the underlining tone of... See, the thing with politics that I've seen is that the actual, the foundation, that the premise of it, that seems slightly flawed to me, that it's parties against parties. Like, it doesn't matter if you're conservative, liberal, uh, labor, like, there's all ideologies as to what you're fighting for, but what is the change that's gonna make people, the change in people's lives? And I actually feel that it's more than actually, and most of the stuff happens behind the, the doors of, of parliament anyway. Like, we, we watch those debates going out, but most of the things are being done, like, behind closed doors anyway. Um, but it's more about us speaking our truth. Because I think as people, we kind of forget that we're the ones in power. Mm. we're the ones that we go out there and make the vote and do the thing and, but we just have to be conscious enough to not be swayed by things that the propaganda that you can have out there and the false promises and all the things and I think I feel there's a change in the world that people are shifting up and becoming and realising that actually this is all starting to become nonsense right now we were promised this but didn't get the thing but then that side said they were going to do the thing, but we went there and then they didn't do it either. And then we start to say, okay, let's become more empowered as, as human beings ourselves and speak our truth and actually then make a difference. And I think that's... Okay. Yeah, to say, to go into politics, I think my songs transcend the politics part where everyone's getting heady. I'm giving you a feeling. Mm. When you speak your truth, I feel you, Elizabeth. Like, genuinely, when you speak, I feel it. It's not a heady thing of... Let me work it out. It's like, 
I can tell when you mean something or if someone's gone into autopilot and they're just talking from their head. And I think we're all starting to level up now and the more we do that, the more we'll, we'll instill change ourselves as opposed to looking for the Wizard of Oz in politics or in anyone else that, to kind of work it all out for us. We know what we need and we need to just come together and do I mean, that. I'm never going to watch the Wizard of Oz in the same way again. different now. <laughs> okay, who else would like to ask a question? Oh my gosh, there are so many questions. Okay, I'm going to come to you in the cap. Yes. Yo, what's going on, Craig David? I'm good, yes, man. How are I you? Yes, I love that intro. You lot. Uh, you inspired me a lot. Thank you, man. I am a mental health survivor, and my name is AJ Sony. I'm a spoke word artist, I'm a poet, I'm a rapper. Mm. And my question is to you, can I perform my spoke word piece to you and to your audience about mental health awareness? Yes, you can. You, you come up on the stage, my man. Oh, my gosh, yes. Firstly, I, I give you respect the fact that you spoke your heart. You, you were courageous to do it. And we're not, we're not going to press you, my man. Like, you got, you got the minute, yeah? Don't feel you're under pressure now. Okay, Take your time. Do, you, do, you, do your minute thing. I'm going to step to the side. Yo, yo. Depression, anxiety, loneliness, intimidation, intimidation, direction, unification, location, unity, community, disability, ability, pain to the purpose, palate to my brain, to my heart, to my soul, social media, addiction, I had to go through depression, attacks, I had to go through loneliness, times I had to go through the panics and the rubbies and darkness around me. These are some words I can describe anxiety, purpose of a painting, painting, naming, gaming, abusing, left and right, censor. I've been through my depression, censor. I've been through my anxiety, censor. I've been through my corridor doors, hospital ships are sinking, just how my Titanic was sinking, I got diagnosed with autism in 2015, I got section in 2017, purpose, help the poor, help the needy, birth, death, old age, disease, nature, hope, praying the God's nature's are blessing me through together, we're going to walk it, talk it, heal it through together, if you've got a disability, purpose, God has believed me so much in my life and Craig David has inspired me so much in my life because world mental health awareness, you remember you're not alone too. What's your name again? My stage name is AJ Sony. AJ Sony? Yeah, AJ S O N I. And where can people find you? They can find you on Instagram? Instagram, real AJ Sony. So it's R E A O A J S O N I. And I'm on TikTok as well. Yes. Yes. Let Thank them you know. so much. Love. 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 Appreciate Thank you. you. Thank See, you. See that. So much. <laughs> on, on the real, that's real courage right there for you to come up on stage. To say what you just said. Well done, that was amazing. Let's, it's those moments that I, I live for because you, you, you came up, you did what you needed to do. You can literally say you performed with Craig David. Yeah. That's so cool. But, but, but the, the fact well is, done. I heard you saying that you do a section in 2015, you said, right? 2017. 2017. Bro, and to see you here, 2022, like performing to the crowd, getting that much love. Come on. Yeah. That's the power of Craig David. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so proud of you. What an amazing thing to share with us. Thank you. I'm going to come over here and then I'm going to come back to you in the front row. So, yes, there is someone whose hand is being held up by her two friends. So, yeah. Hi, Craig. Hey, how Hi, are you? Elizabeth. Your first album was the first album I ever bought on tape and I used to listen to it every morning before school. Aww. 
What's your favourite song from the album? And please, could you sing a little bit? Oh. <laughs> I feel like I should sing next. I'm kidding. Want, do you want it? No one wants that. No? no one wants sure. that. Um, wow, Born to Do It was the one. Okay, so I think it would be Fill Me In. With, yes. with just because... Okay, so you want a little piece of the Fill Me In? Yes! I was checking this girl next door when her parents went out. She phoned, say, hey, boy, come on right around. So when I knocked at the door, you were standing with a bottle of red wine, ready to pour, just in long black satin, laced to the floor. So I went in, then we sat down, stalked a cigarette, told me about jacuzzi, sounded interesting. So we jumped right in, all calls diverted to answer phone. Please leave a message after the tone. I mean, me and her parents. Parents were kind of cool, but they were the fine line between me and you. We were just doing things and people in love do. Parents trying to find out what we were up to. Saying, why were you creeping round late last? But could I see two shadows moving in your bedroom light? Now you're dressed in black. When I left, you were dressed in white. Can you fill me in? Oh, yeah. Calls diverted to answer phone. Red wine bottle, half the contents gone. Midnight return, jacuzzi. Susie turned on. Can you fill me in, baby? Thank you, thank you, thank you. My pleasure. It was like a dream I never knew I had just came true. Thank you so much for asking that question. Oh, heaven. Okay, good, yeah. I'm going okay. to you in the front row. And then if there's anyone on the sides, I'm just aware I haven't asked you. So, yes, this gentleman in the front row. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much, Craig, for being such a huge inspiration to my life. Like, throughout my whole journey of, like, mum being a single parent, I was literally raised by your music. My mum never used to let me buy, like, um, parental, anything with a parental advisory sticker. So yours was the only one on that chart. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, so you appreciate the guy that. You know, <laughs> Thank you, brother. Um, also, you don't know this, but a couple of years ago, you signed a shirt for a friend of mine, uh, and on there it said, To Lawrence Thor, keep following your intuition and keep the vibes positive. Kind regards, uh, Craig David. Mm. And I, my wife got it framed. It's like in my office, it's like the shrine, right? So I'm a massive fan, but so you really are an inspiration, and I want to thank you for that. I really do appreciate you. Thank you. Um, how do you find genuine friends that care in the mess of fame? And also, mm. Who is, um, who is going to be inspiring you moving forward on this next part to your journey now that you've, you know, you seem to have got a lot more conviction in yourself and, um, and you know, and we're all proud of you for that because it must have been a very challenging journey. Um, how do you find friends and where do you seek inspiration from this point? Wow, do you wow. want to have your own podcast? Because that was no. amazing. I wish I'd asked that question. What was your name? Thor. Thor. Firstly, Love the vibe, love the energy. So eloquent the way that you ask the question. Nah, like we're mirroring each other. See how we're meeting each other at the, at the same, do you know what I mean? In terms of friendships, I feel like, again, like my intuition is really guiding me. My inner voice is always kind of leaning me into, especially in this, this last year or so. I mean, not even last year, not even last year, the last few months, I feel new relationships opening up. And I feel like my friendships, have, the ones that needed to be nurtured, 
and I, I touch on this in the book about gardening, I use it as a metaphor of like you can overwater a plant or you can underwater a plant and either way you can kill the plant without knowing the actual plant really well and actually having a, a relationship. And that metaphor really did something for me of like, okay, there's certain relationships that, and friendships that I really need to, I need to show up more and nurture it because I want these people in my life. And then there's others where I was just like, you know what? Maybe it's time to let these, these times go, you know? And I think I've become much more intuitive about the close circle of people. And I think we always tend to go back to, it's, you can count your friends on, on one hand, you know, the real friends. But I also, going forward, as you said about inspiration, I'm inspired by this, my man. I'm inspired by you being able to take the microphone, be able to make such a beautiful compliment about something that I did, which reflects back to me like, you know what, when I wrote that, it, it, it touched you in a way that you made you put it on a frame and put it on the wall. I mean, I'm, I'm honored that you would do that. But then to be here today and ask that question, genuinely from my heart, I'm inspired by you. I'm inspired by this. I'm inspired by the questions you asked earlier. I'm inspired when you say sing one of the songs because it was an album that touched you. How can you not be inspired? I mean, I'm like, I'm really grateful. I'm grateful because I'm seeing that actually for any of this to land, it lands with the connection with, with yourself and with the people that actually hear this music. You know, I was doing album signings and book signings, and I was like, I'd rather not rush, I'd rather not do the album signing if I'm not going to actually hear your story, tell me the thing, give you a big hug and make you feel seen, because this is where it lands. Otherwise, what the hell is this whole thing about? Mm. What are we doing this for? What, to sell some copies? To sell some, like, that's the old nonsense that gets pumped into a lot of people of like, it's a product. No, no, it's human beings here. And I just appreciate you, my man. Oh. Like, it's love. Like, genuinely, it's great. What a beautiful question. An exceptionally beautiful answer. And what an amazing wife. Props to you. Thank you so much for making that happen. I think we've got time for maybe two more quick questions because I know Craig has to go. Yes, can we come to this? Are you wearing green? I think you are, and it's very lovely. Okay. Hi, hi everyone. I'm Victoria. Hey, um, Victoria, how are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm a Virgo, just in case that means anything. Virgo's great. <laughs> Another earth sign. You're very gra- grounded. You know that... Yeah, 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 you know. Okay. You know. Okay. Um, I just want to say really quickly that... I'm, I'm here with my mum, and the reason that I listen to your podcast, Elizabeth, is because she said, Vic, I've started listening to this new podcast that you'd be a really great guest on. It's called How to Fail. Because oh, you fail at Victoria's stuff. Mom. Oh, So, yeah, we're here together. This is a slightly tongue-in-cheek question, because this has all been very, like, highbrow and really, really nice. But you're obviously very enlightened now, and you've been on, like, this nice spiritual journey. Is there anything that you look back on over the last 20 years when maybe you're a bit less enlightened, where you're like... Oh man, that's a bit embarrassing. I wish I didn't do that. Lovely question. <laughs> or just where you like you cringe a little bit. You're like, oh, fashion, you know, Craig? I'm so Anything? enlightened now. I wouldn't do that. Do you know what? I mean, it's funny because like when I wrote Rise and Fall, there was like that song was written in the third person when I first did it, and it was very easy to kind of be like, okay, he or she was in compromise in a compromising situation. They should have learned. And my manager said to me, no, you need to put that in the first person. That was the hardest move to say. Mm. I've been caught in compromising situations. I should have learned, burned my bridges and I've run out of places. It gave it a whole nother flip of that song. And to lead that into it, to keep it tongue in cheek as you want, back in the day, 
Remember when New Kids on the Block came out and they had the dungarees with the t-shirt and the whole yes. thing and you let it go, you had to yes. let the button come down and you, yes. with the timbo, with the Timberland boots on, yeah? Hanging tough, yeah. Hanging tough, yes. yeah. You know when you thought that was a good look to go out and walk up the high street with for a moment? That's when you learn, you go up, you turn, you come back and yeah. you, you say, Mom, how did you let me? She said, I don't know, you, you say you want to wear your heart on your sleeve, yeah? You want to wear the, Wow. That wasn't the one. <laughs> that was never the one for me. Like I literally, it was the dungaree was one was down, walking confidently up the high street like this is a good look. Well, like bare chested, <sighs> not a t-shirt underneath. There was a t-shirt underneath. Okay, fine. <laughs> that one would have been a different one, yeah. and that's why I'm glad that I didn't grow up in a time of Snapchat and social media. Yeah. Because I've got to say that that generation, that period of time, as to be a kid. Mm. You, you could learn, like, okay, I'm trial and error. Whereas now, I do really feel for kids in particular, because everything is instant. You haven't got a chance to actually have the failure. Mm. It's like, it's not, oh, I've, I've made a mistake, I, I'm going to rectify that. It's like, well, the failure's out there and everyone knows about it. And I think that's interesting with the beauty of your podcast as well, is that the how to fail part is actually happening real time and exponentially happening for people like that. And that's hard to deal with in of itself so yeah sorry we kind of we took it there we went to new kids on the block we did a little dungaree thing we went on a journey and we went on a journey we went on a beautiful we journey thank you both both of you so much Appreciate okay you. uh last question okay <laughs> thank you hi hello how are you um michelle it's a pleasure to meet you nice to meet michelle <laughs> um you... star sign michelle leo oh yeah. great leo taurus buttheads yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> I obviously bought your book on my way in with the signature, so thank you for that. Um, thank you. I know you have to run out, but um, I guess a question for you is, you mentioned, and not to like make the mood a bit more, a bit more down, but um, That's cool. working with your shadow and like bringing those things to light, what was the darkest shadow that you had to really bring to light to come to who you are now? Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> thank you. I mean, because I'd always used to reframe anything that was negative, to make it positive, I was like, we do the affirmations and we, the law of attraction, we've got to change the energy and we've got to keep it positive. And I have to say that really, as we touched on earlier on, the, the period of time through both selector and that bullying, the back going for me, spiraled me into a place where things just became really dark and I'd say very dimly lit. Where I couldn't see the good in anything that was going on. I couldn't understand that, on one hand, the career seemed to be showing up really well, and we're ticking lots of boxes. You know, you've got the car, it seems like, and you're living in Miami, and you've just come back from Times Square, right? But I was going heading crash course into the ground, and it's a strange place, because when you hit there, you, you're trying to find an out, but you're not... You're not really re recognizing that you actually need to surrender to that. And I think it was that reframing. I used the, the metaphor analogy of having a magnet and you can keep shaving off a part of the magnet thinking that, like, I can reframe it, but actually the magnet's the magnet. Like, you can keep saying it's negative, negative. You can keep shaving, 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 shaving. It's always going to be positive and negative in life. That's how this human experience is. And I've just realized that to come through the other side of it, and I genuinely hope that I've got enough practices and tools that I talk about in the book that I never go there again. But it is a constant thing with mental health of 
servicing it and keeping it on top of, of it because little things can trigger you that you didn't know, like a little sly one that you just didn't, you thought, I, I thought I dealt with that one. And it rears its ugly head up again. But I think the difference this time around, rather than kind of shying away from it, I'll lean into it a bit more when we talked about shadow work. It's hard. Like the hardest thing is to lean into the thing that you most fear. But as Brene Brown says so beautifully, is that's the power of, of and courage is in that moment. Because when you do, it's like the David and Goliath moment. Yeah. You, you conquer it and it has, doesn't have that power over you. you. You take it out from being here and you put it, I can see you for what, what it is now. You're just, uh, Eckhart Tolle would do it more eloquently, your thought form, you're just there, yeah? I'd say it's just like, we just need to name it, claim it. Yes. Then you know it's not, it's not real. And then it just diminishes into, into something that you can then kind of get through. Yeah? Fear can so often be another word for an opportunity for growth, can't Absolutely. it? Craig David, I had sky-high expectations before coming here tonight, and you have exceeded every single one with your grace, your eloquence, your kindness. You're an inspiration to all of us here, and I cannot thank you enough for coming on How to Fail. Craig David, everyone! If you enjoyed this episode of How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, I would so appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. Apparently, it helps other people know that we exist.